Welcome to another episode of Bereans Podcast. Each week we share a message from the Bible and examine it to understand and learn to apply it to our lives. The hope is that through the wisdom of the scriptures, we will all be encouraged to make real life change and that the power of the gospel will transform our lives. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode of the Berean Podcast that starts right now. Good morning, everyone. I hope that you're doing well today. Thank you for asking. I'm also doing quite well. My name is Devin. I'm the lead pastor here at Brian. And it's a joy to be with you because this series called Thrive, it's all about growing, finding, setting our roots down deep through the basic everyday habits and practices that most of us tend to overlook. That if you want to grow in your spiritual walk, if you want to grow in anything, it's like riding a bike with two pedals. One pedal is what you know. You need to know some stuff that is true, that is right, that is fitting. But knowledge alone doesn't lead to transformation. That there are, in fact, habits and patterns of behavior, actions, in which God slowly shapes us and molds us over time. Today we're talking about the practice, the habit of prayer. Now, I recognize something. That most of the time, sermons on prayer start with a confession and they end usually with a feeling of condemnation. Let me unpack that. Confession. The vast majority of sermons that I've ever heard on prayer begin with the speaker saying something like, I'm no expert on this or I'm still growing. So to stay true to form, let me offer you my confession that yes, I pray and I pray often, but I don't pray like I want. That when I sit there, when I stand there, when I kneel there and I call out to my father in heaven, my brain lights up in ways that it doesn't at any other point. And I begin to remember obscure facts, information. I, get, I ask myself questions that for some reason in that moment seem oddly important, like who was my third grade math teacher? Is she still living? 
Because she must have been what, 50? No, you know what, she probably wasn't even 50 because when you're in grade three, everybody looks like they're 50. So she could have been like 30. That would mean she could still be living. I wonder if I should look her up on Facebook, maybe write her a card to apologize for some of the incidents that my parents get called for. Yeah, I think I'll do it. And you're like, no, no, no. I was praying. That's what it was. Okay. Dear Father. And then boom, another tangent. So I've learned, practically speaking, to keep a post-it note beside me. And to rather than allowing my thoughts to just run, I say, you know what? That's a good question, Devin. Who was your grade three teacher and is she still living? I'm going to write that down for later. Trying to stay focused. But so many of us struggle with prayer. And I am not here speaking today as if somehow I'm the expert. And if you can just catch up with me, then you would have a rich, deep, and meaningful prayer life. Each one of us is going to have different habits and practices, even around a practice like prayer itself. The reality is, unfortunately, I am not the authority here. The good news is that Jesus is. So I pulled in the single best authority today to teach us about prayer, and that is Jesus himself. When you look at Jesus' life, you will see that he prayed, and he prayed passionately. You see this model of pursuing his Father in heaven with, with fire in his bones. I mean, not only is Jesus the reason and the means by which we can pray. We pray in his name. He teaches us to pray through his instruction in the Gospels, but his example is also one of prayer. Jesus prays at the beginning of his ministry. He prays early in the morning, and he prays late at night. He prays for people, he prays with people, and he prays in solitude. He prays before big decisions. He prays when he's facing hardship or difficulty. Jesus is the expert on prayer. And may he be our teacher today. That's the confession. But oftentimes, sermons on prayer elicit feelings, perhaps, of condemnation, guilt, shame. Somebody up front is talking about prayer. Maybe you read a book about some heroes of the faith decades or centuries ago, and they would spend hours every day praying. And the only thing that you walk out of there with is this sense of failure. What is wrong with me? Why can't I pray? Why do I get so distracted? Is God frustrated with me? Is there something broken within me? Why can't I pray? Why is this so difficult for me? What does this say about me? And we often walk out of a teaching or on a sermon on prayer feeling the sense of guilt, of, of shame, or of condemnation. But there's no condemnation here today. First of all, condemnation and shame are terrible motivators. It doesn't truly change the heart. But deeper than that still, there is no condemnation for you today if you struggle in prayer. Because we already know 
how Jesus feels about and deals with people who struggle to pray. We see it in the Gospels. Let me set the scene for you. Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. He's called a prayer meeting with his closest friends, with his disciples, because he knows what's coming. He knows he is about to be betrayed and executed. So not only is he facing intense physical pain in the near future, he's also aware that he is about to carry our sins upon himself. It's a heavy moment. He is hurting. And so he invites his closest friends to come with him into the garden to pray. And not once, but twice, they fall asleep. Now listen, I get it. Sometimes you're tired. Sometimes you're distracted in prayer. But I'm willing to bet that you're like me, that if Jesus called a prayer meeting and was sitting there praying beside you, that you could somehow manage to not fall asleep. Drink a cup of coffee, slam a Red Bull, do the, come on, come on, come on, something. But they fall asleep on him. When he needed them most, they were struggling to pray. They were struggling to stay awake. He is betrayed. He is led away put on trial, Peter himself denies even knowing Jesus. And Jesus is crucified, placed in a tomb, but three days later, he's resurrected from the dead. And after he's resurrected, he goes and he seeks out those same people who struggled to pray. He goes and finds those exact same disciples that fell asleep when he needed them most. And there you see his heart for people who struggle to pray. He finds his disciples. He comes to them. He does not chew them out. He does not express his utter disappointment and anger and frustration at them. He doesn't say to them, what is wrong with you? Is there something broken in you that you can't pray well? He comes to them and three times he says to them, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. If you're here and you struggle to pray, Hear the words of Christ. Peace be with you. No, he loves you. He loves you so much, he is not content to let you struggle through life without setting your roots down deep into this beautiful gift that he has given you. So he wants you to grow in prayer, and he's gonna challenge you to grow in prayer, but this is not a place of condemnation. Jesus is gracious and gentle and patient with people who struggle to pray. That's why you can grow in this. That's why there is hope for tomorrow. That you don't have to be someone forever who struggles with prayer. That God can and will work in your life to teach you and to lead you in this. He has compassion for those who struggle. 
He has a challenge for those who struggle, but it's not condemnation. So more than tips and tricks about how to pray or what works for me or some creative little acronyms that you can use, I mean, those have their place and they have value. But very practically speaking, today I want to give you the foundation of prayer. Because any of those habits or practices that you seek to build in your own life, if they are built upon the wrong foundation, the wrong understanding, those habits are going to be brittle. Those habits won't be life-giving. Prayer will seem like a duty or a drudgery rather than something in which you can delight. The foundation of prayer is where it all starts. And my goal today is to talk about this foundation and set before you a dream, a vision for your life and for our church so that together, as individuals and as a church, we can pray like never before. My goal and my hope is to simply amaze you with the truth of God's word about this powerful and life-changing foundation of prayer. So with that, let's go. If you have your Bibles, I'm gonna invite you to open them up to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six. This is in the Sermon of the, on the Mount where Jesus is giving his most famous sermon. He is teaching his disciples how to pray. He's not simply teaching them about prayer. He's teaching them how to pray. Now, the words are gonna be on the screen here in just a moment. I'm gonna invite you as you're able to stand with me as I read through the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter six. Jesus tells his disciples, this is how I want you to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is God's word for us today. You can be seated. Let's talk about that foundation of prayer, that if you don't have this settled in your heart and in your life, prayer is never gonna be something that overflows in your life, something that God communes with you in this life, that if you are approaching prayer with the wrong foundation, it's putting the cart before the horse. Here's the foundation. The foundation of prayer is the truth that in Christ, God is your father and you are his child through adoption and new birth. This is the foundation of prayer, that God is your father and that this is made possible through Christ by both adoption and the new birth. Last week, as we were looking at scripture, I talked about how God is a God who speaks. He is not silent. He is a vocal God. He is an active God. He's a communicating God. Do you recognize that the reason that God speaks is because even before he created, there was an audience? God is Father, Son, and Spirit. 
God is a communicating, speaking God before all eternity. Before Genesis 1 begins, God was speaking in himself. The Trinity. And out of that conversation, his word overflows, and he uses that word to create. Do you also recognize that God was a father before he was the creator? Jesus is the son. There is Father, Son, and Spirit. That predates creation. That predates God creating or forming anything. God was a Father before he even created. And so, out of that relationship of a Father and a Son, there is love and there is intimacy, and that overflows. And God's heart is such that because he is a Father, he desires even more sons and daughters be welcomed in. That out of the overflow of the love that exists between the Father and Son from all eternity past is the desire to welcome you to be his son and daughter today. Now, in a general sense, God is the Father of all humanity, God is our Maker. And so in a general sense, Scripture talks about, like in Acts 17, that God is the Father of all humankind. But when the Bible speaks about prayer and this foundational aspect of God being our Father, he is something much different in mind than a general sense of connectedness because he is our creator. Because 245 times in the New Testament, God is called Father. And here he is speaking about the intimate, familial relationship that exists between those who have trusted in Christ, who have been welcomed as sons and daughters to their Father in heaven. This is the foundation of prayer. That you are not speaking to a distant, angry, detached, distracted deity you are speaking to your Father in heaven. Now, God is the Father to all humankind in a general sense, but this intimate, familial-type relationship, this, this language of intimacy of a father and a son or a daughter and her father is made possible through two means. One is adoption and one is the new birth. So let's talk about that. We can become his sons and daughters through adoption. Well, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He rose again from the dead for your life. And all who trust in Jesus and Jesus alone are saved, are forgiven, are adopted, is one of the images the Bible uses, adopted into his family. In Romans chapter 8, we read these words. You have received the spirit of adoption. As sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. 
heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. You have received this spirit of adoption, Paul says. And because you are adopted, you can call God your Abba, your Father. You are now his child. You have gone from being an enemy to a son or a daughter. And if you are his child, then you are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs, fellow heirs with Christ. Do you see the scandal, the beauty, the audacity of such a claim? That because you have been adopted, you can call God your father? You have his name now upon you? You have his affectionate, benevolent eye upon you? You are now an heir to the king? Ephesians 1.5, in love, it says, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. You have been predestined in love to adoption. You are not adopted because somehow you slipped in when God wasn't looking. That he just looked up and there you were seated at the table. And you're like, what do you mean? I've always been here. Just let me in. Let me hang out. No, you have been adopted in love. He welcomed you in. According to the purposes of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, we have been adopted through Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection to the Father. We carry his name now. So when you pray, you are not praying to a distant deity who doesn't know you. You are praying to your Father. This is why the Lord's Prayer starts off with that framework. Our Father in heaven. Everything flows from there. That is the foundation, that he is our Father. We are his sons and his daughters by adoption. And secondly, we are his sons and his daughters by the new birth. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the dead for your life. All who trust in him and him alone can be saved, welcomed, or born again. The Bible gives many images, terms, expressions about what this incredible reality is called. Saved, forgiven, different aspects of this salvation granted to us in Christ. One of them is that we would be born again. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus, a religious leader, is interacting with Jesus. And he says to Nicodemus, listen, unless you're born again, you cannot inherit, you cannot enter, you cannot be a part of the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is like scratching his head, being like... "Uh, my mom's not going to like that. Um, what, what does that mean, Jesus? And It's the translation, the transfer from death to life. 
John 3, 1, see, John says, just see, behold, take notice. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. John says to his audience, don't, don't you see? Don't you get it? What love the Father has poured out or has lavished upon us that we, that people like you, people like me should be called children of God? That's what we are. John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You can pray because you are speaking to your heavenly father. Now time out. Because maybe you're here and the image of God as a father has proven to be rather off-putting for you. Because of your experiences growing up, this image of God as a father hasn't been helpful to you. It's hindered your pursuit of God. It's made you feel uncomfortable because maybe your earthly father wasn't the man that he should be. Maybe your earthly father was domineering and controlling or maybe he was absent or passive. Maybe your earthly father liked to make himself big to make you feel small, to use his words and his fists to hurt you. I recognize that the image of God as father can be a stumbling block for so many people. And if that's you, I want to speak to you directly here for a moment. I want to say, first of all, that I'm sorry that you experienced this that you were wounded by somebody who ought to be the one to protect you. And I'm sorry that that happened. Secondly, I want to encourage you in your growth, in your journey, in your path of healing moving forward, that rather than allowing your earthly father's failure to taint your perspective and view of your heavenly father, ask God in your heart to help you switch those so that everything that your earthly father didn't give you or should have done, you will see in your heavenly father as available to you and that you will see the picture, the image, the, the heart of your, earthly, of your heavenly father and come to a clearer understanding, even than you have now, of the failures of your earthly father. Find in Christ, find through Christ what it is that you required, what it is that you need, what it is that you missed having in an earthly father. This is why we pray. This is the foundation of our prayer, that there is a God waiting And that this God is not an angry, detached deity, but that he is a loving and caring father. Think about a good, competent, reasonable earthly father. 
just an average Joe, right? Just some guy who loves his kids. And he's got this little toddler. And little toddler's learning how to speak. And as you know, little kids, when they're speaking, they say things that are grammatically incorrect, but incredibly logical. So you're like, that makes sense, but for some reason in English, that word is the exception, right? Like English is a weird language, I get that. What does a good father do when his toddler is learning to speak? He stoops down and says what? I'm sorry, this is ridiculous. Can you spit it out? Right, what does he say? Does he, does he come close and say, yeah, I don't have time for this. What you're saying doesn't make sense. That's not how you pronounce that word. You misuse that word. Oh, come on. Does he sit there and say, hey, listen, little Billy, I'm not gonna speak to you until you learn to speak better because it's really aggravating. So talk to you later or maybe not that much later, maybe much, much later. No, what does a good father do? He delights to hear his children learn to speak. Sometimes he chuckles about the innocent, silly things that kids say. But his heart is so inclined to that child that it's love that wins the day. And he stoops down and he says, Tell me all about it. How much more does our heavenly father delight to hear his children babble, grow, make mistakes? Maybe you're here and you're like, I don't like praying in public because everybody else seems, I don't know if they're cheating, if they have like an in-ear monitor or something, but look at this person. You hear them pray and you're like, I'm sorry, are you a priest or something? Like, you're just, you're amazing. Some of you don't feel comfortable. You are talking to your father in heaven. It's okay if you still get the training wheels on a little bit. Just pour your heart out to him. Speak to him. He's not sitting there picking at your words and frustrated that you don't use more these and thous and flowery technical language. He's your father. He delights in you. This is why we pray. Are you hurting? Pray. Are you addicted? Pray. Are you struggling with loss or loneliness or lust? Then pray. Is everything in your life going really, really well right now? Then pray. The infinite God of all creation welcomes you. Welcomes people like me to be his sons and daughters. And he stoops down and says, tell me all about it. Don't you want this? I mean, if you could honestly, if God appeared to you and said, I can make you into a person of prayer, just give me a thumbs up, right? Every one of us who know Jesus would want to grow in that, to be a prayer warrior. But if you're gonna get there, you gotta start here and you gotta just pray. 
Will you keep this foundation front of mind? The foundation of prayer is not your performance. It is not your language. It is not your expertise or experience. It is not your your background, how clean your record has been. The foundation of prayer is always that God is your father because of Christ's substitutionary death on the cross and his resurrection and that you have been adopted, that you have been born again into the family of God. Doesn't your heart just leap at the idea that there is a God there waiting for you? Calling on you to give him your worries, your fears, your insecurities. Doesn't your soul long to know him, to experience him, to revel in him and find your life and joy in him? Don't you long to be a part of a church? that prays and that prays well? Can you imagine if we succeed, but we do it without prayer and without the Spirit? Imagine if the bills are being paid, we got all kinds of money, ministries are all well-staffed, we got more and more attendance, But imagine if we did all of that and found out in the end it was empty. Nothing but a vain idol, a golden calf towards human effort. How disappointing that would be. How uninspiring it is to give your life to building your pathetic little kingdom rather than giving yourself to the glory of God? We can't do anything of value apart from God's spirit. I can't do anything of value apart from God's spirit. I am nowhere near so clever. That's why we pray, because I can't. I can't cause dead hearts to come alive. I can't cause blind eyes to see the glory and beauty of Christ. We can't, with our own human efforts, see marriages restored, see people freed from addiction. We can't do it apart from God. And every day that we fail to to pray and to pray well is is an indictment that we actually, in the back of our hearts, in the back of our minds, think we can. This is why we pray. I heard a story of Charles Spurgeon a few years ago and he was a famous preacher in London, tremendously gifted and a group of college students went down to to hear him speak for the first time. They didn't really know what he looked like. They didn't know his voice, you know, his, his inflection. They just knew he was a powerful and influential preacher so they wanted to go hear. They arrived at the church building early and it was cold out and the door was locked. So they waited outside, kind of huddled together, hoping to get a good seat. Shortly after, a gentleman opened the door and was like, can I help you guys? And they said, yeah, we're here to just to take in the church service and hear Mr. Spurgeon speak. Um, we're just waiting for the doors to open. So the man said, okay, why don't you come with me? So they came in the building and they were standing around and the man said, do you want me to show you the furnace room? And uh, the students were like, why not? Right, got nothing else to do, get a little tour, that'll be cool. So he took them down into the basement 
And there was a big door there and he slid the door open and inside that room were 700 people and they were praying. And the man giving them the tour was Spurgeon himself. And he looked in the room and he said, that's the furnace room. That's where the fire in this church comes from. We can't do anything apart from God. That's why we pray. Now, I'm going to invite you in this moment to pray. Some of you are like, why did I have to come to church? <laughs> Today of all days. Is that my cell phone? Um, I think I got something in the oven. But hear me out here. We're going to pray right now. I'm going to give you a few moments in space. Maybe you're here and you're like, great, can't wait for it. Maybe you're here and you're like, I don't want to do this. There's no condemnation here. Nobody's going to judge you if you don't pray out loud. Don't worry about it. And if you're here and you don't know God as Father, it's going to feel strange speaking to a stranger. But here's what I'm asking of you. If you're here and God is not yet your Father, you have not yet trusted in Christ, I want you to hear how God's children speak to him, how they call out to him. And so in small groups, Two, three, four. Don't, please don't overthink it and be one of those people that's like, okay, we got 17 groups of three. We got two groups of five. I need two of you to go over here. No, just right here, right now in this space. Turn to the people around you and pray. I'm gonna put two prompts up on the screen. The first is an individual prayer. The second is a, a corporate prayer. I'm going to invite you to pray. First of all, that God would make you a person of prayer. After a few moments, I'm gonna come up and transition to the second prompt, which is praying that God would make Berean a place of prayer. So just now, take a few moments, no pressure, keep your prayers quick so everyone in your group has a chance. Look at the screen and follow the prompts.
take a moment and pray, not just for yourself, but for Berean, that we would be a church of prayer. Continue on. Father, we desire you. Above comfort or blessing or happiness, we desire you. And I pray that you would increase our longing for you until nothing will satisfy apart from tasting and seeing your goodness. The scandal of the gospel is that you have made us, you have made me, to your son. I know how undeserving I am of that privilege, of that right to be an heir of God, a co-heir with Christ. This is the foundation of prayer that we come to you as our father. And I pray God for every person here that if they have not yet trusted in Christ, that they would do so today so that they could walk out of there saying, I have now a heavenly father. For those who are here who are struggling with the image of God as a God of you as a father, I pray that you would help them to see you in your power and in your holiness, but also in your, your gentleness, your compassion, your kindness. Father, make us as individuals people of prayer, that we would see people praying every single Sunday, dozens of people praying for one another in the commons, people coming up front after service to pray here with our people. We would see prayer catch fire, not just in our individuals, but in our church as a whole. We can do nothing of value apart from the work of the Spirit. So Father, we call out to you and say, you have to do it, Father. Come. I pray and use your word in our lives and in our hearts. We ask this all, Father, in the name of the one who made us your son, your daughter, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And that does it for this episode of the Berean Podcast. All of our ministries at Berean are geared towards the mission of seeing lives transformed by the power of the gospel. If you would like to be connected with our church family or give to the mission of Berean, just jump online to our website at bereanmn.com. Thanks for listening today, and we pray that you are encouraged by today's episode. Be sure to like us on social media, and we'll see you here next time on the Berean Podcast.